everyone if you would please rise with us as we sing Welcome everybody this morning to Huntington First Baptist Church. Glad that you're here. We're going to take this time uh, for everyone to greet those around you. Tell them uh, you're glad that they're here and then we'll have a couple of baptisms this morning.
right, good morning. We're going to ask you to be seated. We are very excited this morning to have four that come for baptism. At the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, uh, it says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Uh, this morning we have the privilege of having uh, Lana Vincent that comes first to be baptized. So we'll ask Lana to come. I promised her the water would be nice and warm. Um, come stand over here beside this. We want to recognize Lana's family, and I know most of them are up in the balcony. If y'all would just raise your hand or yeah, whatever y'all want to do. Y'all don't have to shout or anything if you don't feel like it. So um, we're going to watch Lana's testimony at this time. The God who framed the vast skies, who built the shine. Lana, we're super excited for you to be baptized today. And uh, I know that you've just made a decision at church camp. So why don't you just share with us uh, about that day you were saved and what led up to that and what happened that night. Okay, so it was Wednesday evening and we, all the girls in our little cabin, we're kind of good friends. We were all kind of the same age and stuff, so we kind of got to know each other better. And so we weren't scared a lot, ask each other questions and stuff. So we went to the lake before chapel, and we we everyone was saved except for me. And so we they asked me, "Are you saved?" And I was like, "No." And they were like, "Do you want to be saved now?" I didn't want to do something that other people pushed me to try to do when I didn't feel like I was ready. And so after that, we went to chapel, and he, the preacher was talking about his testimony. And um, after he did that, we uh, I kind of felt something click, and I was just, I don't know, I was kind of very emotional and stuff. And so... I went, um, all the directors went in one line, and we all, um, you could pray. And so I went, and I prayed with um, the director, Bonk, and we talked, and we prayed, and I got saved that night, and I was very emotional. And how did you feel? Very relieved and, like, Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, this is just the start of your Christian journey. So what is it that you're going to do from this day forward? I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do what God asked me to do, and I'm going to be just be a better person from here on. Awesome. Solana, upon your public profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The old person is put to death, and a new person is raised in Christ Jesus. This morning we also had the privilege of, uh, I don't know if it's ever been done, I'm sure it's baptized three brothers in the same thing, which is really cool. So, um, first we have Halston Ellison. And uh, I guess we'll recognize Halston's family, I think. I don't see any other than a front row, but front row, Halston. But what's Halston's testimony? What mercy flows from up above that God would say. So, Austin, tell me about your life before before you met Christ, before this summer. Um, before this summer, I really, I really didn't know 
like living for the Lord. Like I had, I wasn't making the greatest choices. I was kind of doing my own thing and like like chose myself over God and here and there I would play the whole yeah I'm Christian and I'm and I, I give my life but I really didn't understand until I went to church camp and it was a Wednesday night that like it opened my eyes and I really wasn't I wasn't ready but whenever I had the next night I was on my own and I was thinking and it hit me like I was like I'm ready I want to be I want to be I want to live for the Lord I'm like everything that has happened I want to help other people learn I want to I want to go mission trips I want to I want to I just want I want to be a part and I want to help people find their way into Jesus Christ and help just that's cool what do you what do you th- how do you think your life life is going to look different now that you know Jesus? I true I honestly think that it's going to be better, uh, like because I know he's going to be looking out for me and like if I need ever if I ever need him I can I can talk to him I can ask for his like, I can ask for forgiveness I can I can ask him to help me and I've, I'm just. I'm 100% ready to give my life to him and ready for him to, like, like, go, like, he choose, like, he can, the course of my life, like, he can, like, he's, he's ready, he's the one. six or seven until I got adopted by my mom. Um, it was hard not knowing who the Lord or Christ was and I was lost and confused until my mom started taking us to church. I mean, I slowly started learning about the Lord, but I just didn't know if I was ready to commit my life to him yet until 2016 church camp, Piney Boys, Wednesday night, I gave my life to the Lord and best decision I've made in my life. Um, I thank you for helping me get through it. I thank Jesse, Mr. Willie, everyone, all my friends. And Tell me more about that night. What happened that night? Um, he actually talked to me. The Lord talked to me. Like I said, um, I want to help kids around the world that need help. I want to help them like the Lord was there to help me. I'm, I want the Lord help them too. So what is your life going to look like now? How is it going to be different now that you know Christ? Um, I feel like my life is going to be easier, and I feel like I'm going to be able to talk to him easier. At first, it was like hard to talk to him. I couldn't really pray, but I thank you because you've helped me realize that praying ain't a bad thing. You know, praying is a, actually a really good thing for the Lord. Last but not least, definitely not least, we might say it, but it's important. 
Awesome this morning to be able to witness four baptisms and um, see the the what the love of God can do in people. And if you notice, uh, all four of the baptisms uh, similar in the fact that, um, I, what I can tell, they were all called by God. Uh, n- none of them really had the in, the intention. Even Lana said, "I wasn't going to do it just because everybody else was doing. It. I'm just going to do my own thing." And then God called her, and then you can see with the Ellison boys, God called them, and how awesome it is that. Uh, kids from different walks of lives, adult from dif- adults from different uh, walks of lives, and those of all of us in here today, uh, that God's love is so amazing that it reaches each and every one of us by who we are and the sinners that we are and the sins that we commit and the people that we are. But uh, God's love encompasses all of that, uh, and it's a love that we can't understand. But man, I'm glad that uh, that we have it, and He and He offers that to us.
Understanding of that and how much you do love us, Lord, and uh, that we wouldn't forget that uh, throughout our daily lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
the midst of our lives, whatever our circumstances are, whatever is going on, God has something to say. That has been the consistent uh, message and theme uh, this summer as we've looked at the Old Testament prophet Haggai. In the midst of our lives, God has something to say. We saw in the book that in the midst of lives that were distracted by their own priorities, their own lives, their own needs... God had something to say. He wanted to remind them about why they were there. And and I would contend for us this morning, in the midst of lives that are distracted, we need to be reminded of why we are here. In the book of Haggai, in the midst of their lives that were discouraged, doing the thing that God had called them to do, in the midst of that discouragement, God had something to say, and what He told them is, I will be the power. I will be the one who empowers you to do what I have called you to do. And I would say in the midst of our lives, when we choose to follow God, even these that have just been baptized this morning, when God calls you to do something, if it's an area of ministry, whatever it is, we have to trust in the midst of that. When when it gets hard and the feelings wear off and discouragement sets in, that God says, no, I will be the one who will empower you. In the midst of our discouragement, God has something to say. Last Sunday we saw in the midst of disobedience, God has something to say. In the midst of their disobedience, God wanted to remind them of His standards that He wanted us to be, even as we've just sung, to be uh, completely devoted to him. It's true not only for the people in Haggai's day, it is true for our day that the call, in fact, as we talk about in 2016, renew. The one thing I know that brings renewal, revival to our lives as the followers of Christ is for us to be at the place where we are completely devoted to him. God does not want us to have even one area of disobedience that we say, well, you know, hmm, doing pretty good in most of my life. There is this one little area of disobedience, but, you know, it's all right. No, in the midst of disobedience, God's Word is that I call you to be completely devoted to me. I don't know if you've noticed this, but um, the prophet reminded them of what God had to say for their day. You know, many times when we, when we talk about a prophet, we think, well, a prophet is one who foretells the future. But actually, when you read the, the prophets of the Old Testament, invariably, in fact, the vast majority of what they had to say was not about someday, but it was about today. It really was. And we, we kind of think, oh, they, just, they wrote these things that were going to happen sometime off in the future. But it's really not the case. And so really all that Haggai, through God, has spoken at this time is, no, I want you to think about where we are right now. But when we come to the final four verses of Haggai's book, God has something to say, not so much about today, but about someday. And so before we conclude our series, or as we conclude our series in the book of Haggai, we need to be reminded this Sunday, the people of Haggai's day needed to be reminded, when you look around the midst of your world and things are not right, trust that God is still in control, He is sovereign, and God is in the process of taking over, and someday all things will be made right. We need to be reminded today that God not only has a word for today, but He has a word for someday out in the future. He speaks not only to today, but He also speaks about the future. And the final four four verses in the book of Haggai is all about the future. 
And I really believe that as the remnant of people that had gone back to rebuild the temple were in the midst of that building, they looked around at their world. And I think if they weren't careful, there would be disillusionment that would set in. In the midst of building the temple, they had to look around and go, well, you know what, this is all great. But the reality is, is the opposition is still around us and the government that controls us is still firmly in control. And they had to realize, we're building this temple and yes, God moved in the heart of Cyrus and he, he, he financed our trip to go back and to build this temple. He said, but politics can turn like that. He said, we can build this temple and then all of a sudden we're not in favor with the new king who rises and it's all over. I kind of think just watching the news this week and if you haven't traveled much in the third world country, you don't really get this, but you see the military coup in Turkey and just over the course of one night, all of a sudden, just the military decides, no, 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 we're just taking over. And here come the tanks and the troops and I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, but you realize that politics can turn on a dime. And they had to realize that in the midst of this great plan they were doing for God, it was possible that someday it was going to be all for naught. And I would say in the midst of that kind of potential disillusionment, God reminded them here it is. Someday, I'm going to take over once and for all. You can watch. We can watch the news. We can see all the things going on in our world. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we think, man, are we, this is out of control. In the midst of that sense, we are reminded by God. No, He's still in control. And someday He's going to take over once and for all. And everything is going to be made right. And so what I want us to learn this morning for just these next few moments. Did I promise you last Sunday that I would go short this morning? Do y'all remember me saying that? David Shaw like, no, no, I remember that. Brother Darrell, I, I got it on my phone right here. I, I played it back. Mm -mm. It's like a contract. You signed it. He's got other videos on his phone that I really need to keep him happy, quite honestly. You know, he has things, David Shaw has things on me that no man should have on a preacher, his preacher. But uh, I love you, brother. Hey, you're, you're losing some weight. Are you kind of, kind of, man, you, you've been working out, haven't you? Yeah, I'm laying it on thick. Mm. In the midst of our potential disillusionment, God wants to remind us that someday He will take over and all things will be made right. I've talked for five, ten minutes so you could find the book of Haggai. You should have started early. There is an index in the front of your Bible for this very Sunday. Um, if you're the preacher, you just put your little ribbon there. You go, okay, now I know where it is now. The last four verses of Haggai say this. And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. I understand this morning if you were to read that in your read the Bible through, 
you might not understand all that the prophet was saying. I understand that this was written 2,500 years ago in the words of a prophet and in the culture of their day. But notice what it says here. And this is the way the book ends. In fact, it tells us in verse 20 that this word came on the, came on the very same day that the previous prophecy had come. The 24th day. of the ninth month. This is in December of the year 520, the second year of Darius, according to 210. Uh, there are four prophecies in the book of Haggai, and this is the last of those, and the last two occur on the same day. Notice, though, there is something different in verse 21, that God says to Haggai, the prophet, speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Now, if you've been here for the previous sermons or you have read the book of Haggai, every time before that Haggai has spoken, God will say, Now, speak this to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, who is the governor of Judah, and Joshua, who is the, the high priest... And then later in the book he says, and to the remnant. But it's always Zerubbabel the governor, Joshua the high priest, and then the second and the third occasions, it's to the remnant. And you can go through. If we just picked, well, just verse 1 of chapter 1 in the, in the second year of King Darius in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Uh, you can go to mm, 112, then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Those three. And then it uses these, these same three in chapter 1, verse 14. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people. So there's been this pattern. He's always spoken to these people except when we come to the end. And God says that I want you to speak this. In essence, He says only to Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Judah. And there is a very significant reason why. Because Zerubbabel is in the kingly lineage of David. And there is something that God is about to say here that relates to a kingdom that is coming and it all goes back to His prophecy that I will raise up a kingdom and all of the, the kings, there is, there is something that's coming and it all hinges on King David. In fact, the prophecy, if you go back in the record, in the histories, it was always, I'm going to... David, not only are you a man after my own God, my own heart, God would say, but I'm going to so honor you that you will be a part of a, a kingly lineage that will last forever. Your kingdom will never end. Well, David died. But the prophecy was not about David, but one who would come in the line of David. You're not going to believe this. Zerubbabel comes in the line of David. In fact, his grandfather had been king uh, and wore the signet ring that's mentioned there. Uh, Jehoiakim was Zerubbabel's grandfather when Nebuchadnezzar came and cleaned house and destroyed the temple, the walls, and hauled them all off into exile. Zerubbabel falls in that line, and what God is about to speak about the kingdom that is coming relates not to Joshua who was in the line of Aaron. It's not about the remnant. No, it's about Zerubbabel. It says of the governor of Judah, but the reality is he was of the tribe of Judah. And the prophecies related to David and the kingly line. And you need to make a note. That's why the prophet only speaks, or God only speaks through the prophet to Zerubbabel. What God says in verse 21 and following, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them, the horses and their riders. 
will come down everyone by the sword of his brother. The significant words to, those, to me and those are I will. Part of it is in the word I, who is speaking God. In the midst as you look at your world and you see kingdoms and vying for power and, and all of this going on and, and Haggai's day and our gay day, the great I am says I will do this. And so we need to understand that the actor in this is God and he says I will. He speaks of a day that is coming. He uses the future tense. That there is a day, the day of the Lord that is coming. And I'm going to make I'm going to take over and I'm going to make all things right. It is a day that is coming. It is out there. And what he says and I really he just it really once he says the first phrase the rest of it is just explanation. I will shake heaven and earth. Um, what God says is I'm about to shake things up. And all the kingdoms that you look at and you think they're in, in all these in places of power, God says, no, I'm going to bring them all down. Now, what is the implication of that? The implication is the one who can bring all other kingdoms down and all of those other kingdoms are shakable. The one who shakes them is the unshakable. God's kingdom is the kingdom that never ends. But we look around our world and we say, wait a second, evil's all over the place. Everybody's doing all these things. It does not appear that God is in control. But let me assure you, and the reason God says at the end of Haggai, I want you to know that I am in control. I am the sovereign one over a kingdom that is unshakable. We studied it in our life group this morning. I'm assuming you did too. You can trust in a lot of things in this world, but there's only one thing, the eternal God, that is unshakable. Everything else in your life, someday probably, most likely, will be shaken. And God says, I will shake heaven and earth. I'm going to shake everything up. You see, in the midst of them being afraid of earthly kingdoms, God says, I am over an unshakable kingdom. He says in verse 23, in that day. He's already said, I will. It's a day out in the future. In that day. There is a day that is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheltiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. There is a day that is coming in the future. And if you take the verse at, at face value, what God says is, I'm going to take you, Zerubbabel, and you're going to be my servant and I'm going to establish my kingdom. But what you have to understand in the prophetic uh, scriptures and word, what we really understand is God is talking about the messianic figure who is coming that will come in the line of Zerubbabel. From David through all of those kings to King Jehoiakim, his grandfather to Zerubbabel. You see, he talks about that day. It's almost like saying the Messiah will be the son of David. David's kingdom will never end. Well, David dies and he's buried, but it's someone who comes in his line. In fact, uh, the prophet or God speaks of my servant, which is a messianic term. And so, I don't have time this morning, but, but you read all these scriptures and the prophets begin to say, no, there is one that is coming. There is one. In fact, in the Hebrew, it is the anointed one. And we translate that Messiah. In the Greek language, hmm, it becomes the word Christ. Christ. And so really what the prophet or God is saying through the prophet is that in that day, in that future day, and it's going to be after Zerubbabel dies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant. And really, prophetically what he is saying, he is speaking of the messianic figure who is coming. And I will make you like a signet ring. Uh, the kings of those days uh, had a signet ring. And when... Um, uh, if, he, if he wrote a, an edict and they dropped wax on the bottom of that 
he would seal it by his symbol on his ring, his signet ring. And if someone got an order and said, hey, you military guys, y'all need to do this, they're going to look down at the bottom in these days and look for the king's seal that came from his signet ring. I don't have time this morning, but Jeremiah has a prophecy in Jeremiah 22, I think verse 24, and it relates to Zerubbabel's grandfather Jehoiakim, and it says, I'm going to take away his signet ring. Zerubbabel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come, and he's going to lose his signet ring. What is it? The signet ring was a symbol of executive power. If you possessed the signet ring, you had the power of the king. You were the authorized representative, whether the, the ring was on his finger or not. The signet ring symbolized uh, executive power. And so, actually, we read uh, during the same time period when Daniel is put in the lion's den. Um, Maybe Daniel 6, somewhere around in there. The king seals the door to the lion's den and he puts his imprint of his signet ring on that. This is by the order of the king. And so the prophecy that was that someday the messianic figure would come and he would be like the signet ring. He would, he would have the symbol of the executive power. He would have all the right and authority from the king himself. It's it's messianic. And finally he says in verse 23, For I have chosen you. And prophetically what he was saying is, I have chosen the line of David that runs through Zerubbabel. Someday the messianic figure will come and he will be the one who will establish the kingdom like no other kingdom. He is the chosen one. Oh, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. 500 years plus pass. And there is a little teenage girl in Galilee named Mary. And an angel appears to her. And he says, you're going to have a child. And the angel says to Mary, Luke 1, 32, And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You have been waiting for this messianic figure to come, Mary of Galilee. All this obscurity, no, it's there. It's in you right now. He's coming. That's why Jesus was called Jesus Christ. He is the messianic figure. He is the anointed one. He is the Christ, whether it's Hebrew, whether it's Greek. He is the one who Haggai prophesied would be the desire of all nations in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. <laughs> in fact, in Haggai, he, God says, And I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory. The reason the second temple, the, the temple they built, was filled with glory is because the, the Messiah came to that place, God Himself in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus preached when He came? He said, repent, for the kingdom of God has come. You know what Jesus was preaching? You better change the way you're living because God has come to take over. That's, I know we say the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. No, God has come to take over. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God that was coming. God was coming to take over. And he teaches them about the kingdom of God and the things of God. And at the end of three years of his ministry, Jesus, listen, Jesus, by his death on the cross, broke the power and the curse of sin from the evil one. They had seen it, sin rampant in our world. It did not seem that God was in control. Jesus said God came to take over and in the spiritual realm, at least inaugurating the kingdom, He died on the cross to break the power of sin and Satan and death. He gave us a way out 
by his death on the cross. It was, and, and then obviously on the third day when he rises again, he showed the power over death. Jesus' life was all about the kingdom of God coming, God coming to take over in the midst of a world that seems to be filled with sin. The people of Haggai's day needed to know that someday God was going to take over. When you see the kingdoms vying for power in the world, know that someday my chosen one will come and he will establish a kingdom that is unshakable and he will break the power of sin. When Jesus raised from the dead, he met with his disciples in Galilee and he said these words in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do <gasps> you realize that statement? Jesus was not just a prophet, not just a, a spiritual man that taught us about God. No, he said, all authority has been given to me. You know what he was saying in terms of Haggai chapter 2? He says, the Father has given me the signet ring. And anything I sign off on happens. All authority. I... It is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Haggai of the signet. He will be like a signet ring. He will be the authorized representative from God Himself. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You're not going to believe what happened. The, the, Jesus went to heaven after 40 days. He sent the Spirit. The Spirit came on the believers in Acts 2. You know what they did? They went everywhere telling people about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And through their lives, God began to take over. Until you fast forward the story to 2,000 years to, after that. Today, what is it all about? Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, the prophecy of what well, the people said, the people in Africa, they asked this question. So when will he come again? I hadn't even told you he was going to come again, but you already know that some of that... Yeah. He came the first time and he inaugurated the kingdom and he authorized those who were his followers to take this message of the cross and the resurrection into all the world. And they said, so when will the end come? And Jesus said that not even he knew the time, the hour of the day. But he said, when this message of the kingdom is preached into all nations or people groups, then the end will come. What is the last 2,000 years about? It's about those who have been authorized by the one who was authorized to take the message into all the world that the curse of sin might be broken and people's lives might be redeemed in God taking over our world. And then someday, Jesus said, I came the first time. I will come again. In fact, when you read the book of Revelation, you see that Jesus will come again. I don't have time to talk about this this morning. <laughs> there will be a millennial kingdom that will be set up on this, on this earth. And Jesus will rule. And at the end of the thousand years, then the enemy will be bound and cast into the lake of fire. And you know actually what the Bible teaches? is that someday all of us will stand at the end before God. I don't know if you're going to believe this. Who will God authorize to be the judge on that day? The signet ring, the authorized representative, Jesus the Christ. You realize that all of us will stand, not simply before God, but we will stand before Jesus someday. And the issue won't be whether you believed in God. I guess, in theory, Muslims believe in God. The issue will be, what did you do with the one who is the chosen one, the signet ring, who authorizes all that the Father does, who opens and closes, who writes people's names in a book? What did you do with Jesus? the messianic figure. You see, in Haggai's day, that was still to come. In our day, we're on the other side of the cross in the resurrection. But the reality is, is someday, 
the chosen one will come again and history will be closed and God will ultimately take over and Jesus will divide the people like a shepherd divides the sheep and the goats. In Haggai's day, I believe God at the end of his message through Haggai wanted them to know in the midst of their possible disillusionment that someday God will take over and all things will be made right. You know, and I think the message is very positive for us today because we can look around our world and say, man, there's so much messed up. Mm. We can look around our own families in Huntington, Texas and look at, mm, everything's all messed up. And sometimes in the midst of those lives, we need to be reminded of what God said through Haggai. Someday, I will take over and all things will be made right. And you know the issue really for us is what will we do with the chosen one, the signet ring, the authorized representative, the one who died for us and demonstrated God's power over death by the resurrection, who authorized his followers to take this message into all the world. And when the message was taken to all people groups, then Jesus said, the Father will send me. History will be brought to a close. And I think really in our, in our lives, reality is the next thing we will know is standing in the presence of God and giving account of our lives. And our, determined, our destination will simply be determined. What did we do with the chosen one? And so today the message is as we surrender our lives totally and completely to Him and we give our lives for the very cause that He sanctioned us when sometimes there doesn't seem like a lot of progress and it, sometimes it seems like evil is winning out, the message is that God sends to us, someday I will take over. And the most important thing is when He takes over, whose side will you be on? Would you stand with me this morning? Father, today we uh, ask that you would encourage our hearts in the midst of our lives. Father, to continue in the task that you've called us to. Knowing that someday, Father, whether we can see it today or not, we know that you are the sovereign one. You are in control. And you will make all things right. And so, Father, today, in the here and now, we surrender all that we are to you. Father, I pray for the people that are here today that have never taken the step of faith that uh, those who've been baptized this morning have taken just recently. And Father, I, today I pray that as you open up their hearts, that they would step across the line of faith. And Father, we trust this to you.